Hello, I'm novelist and critic Kim Newman, uh, and I'm here to host uh, this commentary track for the hitherto almost unseen version of Exorcist 3 Legion with uh, Mark Kermode, who is Mr. Exorcist, the man who knows literally everything about this entire series of films and is almost is essentially more instrumental than, than William Peter Blatty <laughs> in getting this film shown in this form. Well, uh, thank you, Kim. Um, so basically what you just saw from there was a, just a, a little explanation of what we're about to see. What we're about to see is a reconstructed version of Bill Blatty's original version of the film that was known as Legion that then became Exorcist 3. You can see straight from the beginning, this starts in black and white. This was Bill's specific instructions that this sequence would be in black and white. It would then explode into colour later on. Um, essentially, what happened was that uh, Bill did his first cut of the film and it was then seen by the producers who decided that it needed to have an exorcism which involved the creation of a new character and a spectacular ending, which really had no place in being in the movie. Um, I first interviewed Blatty about the film when the film first came out, and he told me then, off the record, some of what had happened. He and I, he and I then became quite close, quite good friends, and we talked for a long time about attempting to reconstruct his version. When that finally happened, Shout Factory uh, in America uh, got in touch, uh, Cliff from Shout Factory got in touch and said, look, we're going to try and do this. I had edited... Uh, a script of Legion that Bill had produced uh, for publication by Faber. I have it here. It's uh, the Exorcist script and the Legion script. And we talked about attempting to get his version back. Unfortunately, not all of the footage, in fact, a lot of it didn't survive or couldn't be found. So a lot of the reconstruction is done from VHS, but also using some 35. So it's incomplete because not everything was shot, but it is a version of the film that shows you what Bill Blatty was originally trying to do with the film that he always thought of as Legion and that he never mm -hmm. wanted to be called Exorcist 3. Just lovely to see mm -hmm. that, to see William Peter Blatty's Legion, not William Peter Blatty's Exorcist 3, which automatically acknowledges Exorcist 2, which although you and I feel differently about, <laughs> um, Blatty and Friedkin uh, both wanted nothing to do with. So this film basically ignores Exorcist mm -hmm. 2 completely. Although one thing it doesn't do very generously is contradict it at all. Well, it's partly because Exorcist 2 is about Reagan yes, McNeil. Yeah. And the whole point... So mm. what happened when The Exorcist came out was originally there was talk of doing a sequel mm. and uh, Blatty said, well, the sequel will not be anything to do mm. with Reagan McNeil because one of the key things about The Exorcist is it's not to do with mm -hmm. Reagan McNeil. Incidentally, just a quick note here, as we come down 36th here to 36th and Prospect, you see a house that looks nothing like The Exorcist house. Mm -hmm. The reason it doesn't is that the original Exorcist house had a side built onto it, a facade, mm -hmm. to make it overlook the steps. And it also mm -hmm. had a roof built onto it to give it an attic, because, mm -hmm. of course, in The Exorcist, you need an attic and the, 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 the windows need to overlook. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the, the fence is now completely different to what it was, mm -hmm. but that is still the same house. As you can see, it's mm -hmm. quite some distance from the steps, so they had to build a whole side facade onto it back in the early 1970s when they were shooting The Exorcist. We're now coming down 36th onto Prospect, and then we're going to go down the steps which lead down to M Street. This is the fall of Damien Karras at the end of The Exorcist when Karras sacrifices himself in order to save Reagan McNeil from the clutches of the demon Pazuzu. Um, very clearly, he overcomes the demon Pazuzu mm -hmm. and he throws himself out the window. We now cut forward, mm -hmm. uh, th theoretically 15 years, because 
in this world, The Exorcist took place in 1975. So, so The Exorcist was a science fiction film. We never noticed it. It's set two years in the future. Yes, I know. It's bizarre, isn't it? The novel, of course, is, you know, is, is, is before that. And then mm. the film came out in Boxing Day 1973. I love this shot. Mm-hmm. The sh- shots of the sun are very important in, in both The Exorcist mm-hmm. and what I'm going to call Legion, because I hate The Exorcist 3 title. <laughs> and you'll see that again towards the very end of the film. It's, it's, it's kind of significant. So now we hear the voice of Father Dyer. And uh, at the end of The Exorcist, in the original version, there was a conversation between Kinderman, at that point played by Lee J. Cobb, uh, and Father Dyer, played by William O'Malley. And they they form a friendship, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like the friendship that... um, It's a friendship that that is the ongoing life of Mm. Karras. As well, they the, walk across the road, they, they quote the end scene yeah. of Casablanca. And this mm. is now Father Dyer, mm. who is now friends with Kinderman. And weirdly, there's a sequence later where Kinderman says that, that Karras was his best friend. Yes. And even though they'd only met the once in The Exorcist. Yes, there is in the, in the, the studio cut of it, there is a thing which I call the impossible photograph, which yeah. is a photograph of Kinderman with his arm round yeah. Karras. Now, Kinderman meets Karras during the period of Reagan McNeil's possession, yeah. and Karras dies at the end of it. Yeah. In the novel, they have a second meeting just before the end, just before yeah. the final exorcism, mm-hmm. in which there's a lovely thing in which Kinderman's basically figured out what happened. Mm. He's figured out that, a, that Reagan McNeil mm. threw Burke Dennings out the window. Mm. And he says, he has this whole scenario in which he says, look, what if, what if in a, a hypothetical world, this is what I had concluded? And Karras mm. says, well, I would suggest that you put that in the hands of a higher authority. And Kinderman says, I believe I have done so. Mm. And Karras says, and you should leave it there. Mm. So at the end of The Exorcist, the whole Kinderman thing mm. about the, the argument mm. is that Karras was overwhelmed by grief for the death of his mm. mother, threw himself out the window after Father Merrin had died from natural causes mm. from a heart attack. The Burke Dennings murder is never solved, yeah. incidentally. But so that's why Kinderman is still a lieutenant all these years later, because <laughs> yeah, he right, never yeah. cracked that case. But that photograph, yeah. which in the book uh, you know, has the thing, keep checking on mm. the, those Dominicans, could never have happened. Mm. And in fact, I said to, to Bill Blatty when I interviewed him, I said, how is that possible? And he said, well, mm. look, I needed to make the bond between mm. these two people very strong. And I said, but it couldn't have happened. And he said, who would know? And I mm. said, I would. And he said, <laughs> yes, but other than you... Yeah. Well, and you. me. Yeah. <laughs> and now, indeed, people who watch all these films. No, exactly. Yeah, marathon. Exactly. And, but of course, that was not something that was possible to do when this film was being mm. made. Now, look, this yeah. is a callback to the, fi- the final sequence at the end mm-hmm. of Exorcist, which in the original version ends with Father Dyer mm-hmm. um, looking down the steps. And then there's a hard cut in the original version. Then in the version you've never mm-hmm. seen, which was the kind of the, the, the reconstituted version, he then comes out and Kinderman pulls up and they have a conversation and Kinderman says, you know, hey, you want to, did you eat? Yeah. And then they walk across the road and as they walk across the road, in the, you would have got the sound of, I'm reminded of Casablanca, Beautiful mm-hmm. Friendship, because we could never find the sound tape for mm-hmm. that because I was in the Warner's vaults making the fear of God in mm-hmm. 1998. We could never find that sound tape. And you should explain why um, both actors have been recast. Well, yeah, ob- ob- for obvious reasons. But, well, I mean, yeah. in, the, in, in, in the case of, uh, of Kinderman, obviously Lee J. Cobb died. 
Um, and uh, there was uh, originally when Blatty talked about doing a sequel, he did want it to be Kinderman, and then Lee J. Cobb was no longer available. Although, you know, George C. Scott, I think, does a brilliant job mm-hmm. in this. In the case of uh, of Dyer, actually, um, I think that uh, uh, William O'Malley, who is who was father yeah. William O'Malley, mm-hmm. was at one point considered. This is one of the insertions mm-hmm. that Blatty wanted. Yeah. It's a very, very quick shot. It's a gag. Remember that Blatty was a comedy writer yes. first yeah. and foremost. And when they were doing the sort of reconstruction stuff, that was just a little mm-hmm. shot that he particularly wanted back in because it was a it was a, a joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we start talking about the theme of the film, which is the numbing of the moral mm-hmm. sense. There's uh, references to Shakespeare because, you know, Blatty yeah. had done I, Billy Shakespeare, and he yeah. was very, very... And in- the, the novel begins and ends with long sections about the Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, that, absolutely. That were presumably first to go when they were in the adaption. Well, remember yeah. that the, the novel came out of a screenplay. Mm-hmm. The thing began life as a screenplay. And the story was that it would be Kinderman investigating a mm-hmm. series of uh, murders mm-hmm. that weren't directly related, but were peripherally related mm-hmm. to the exorcism on Prospect Street, which is mentioned later on. Mm-hmm. But anyway, go back to why um, um, Father O'Malley didn't come back. Because yeah. he, he wasn't an actor. He was mm-hmm. a priest. And what you need mm-hmm. for this is somebody... Although there was... Uh, when I interviewed him for The Fear of God in 1998, mm-hmm. I did say, did you ever... He said, well, there was a moment, you know, mm-hmm. when they talked about it, but then you know he was a priest he wasn't an actor mm-hmm. famously he's the person who blatty who friedkin had to punch yeah. at the end of the film to get him to cry because mm-hmm. what you need to carry yeah. this role is an actor yeah absolutely um and ed flanders is an interesting choice <laughs> ed yeah, flanders yeah. had starred in the ninth configuration yeah. mm-hmm. and um so again this is a I longer this, very quickly sorry. this is a longer version of this scene than is in the original film and one of the things that you you notice was that when they did the recut a lot of these kind of character scenes were, were mm. cut down, so just little details breathed slightly less. And what Blatty was great at doing was creating family dialogue, mm-hmm. people talking, you know, very uh, sort of sharp shooting dialogue, and that's what kind of got lost to some extent in the in the recuts. Just a thought, but in some of the reverse shots from the deleted material, is that Sylvia Sidney rather than Barbara Baxley, who was... Because I know she shot some of it and then was replaced. Kim, I don't know. That's you're you're ahead of me on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, that's Zora Lampert, star yeah. of my favourite horror film. Let's get Jessica to death. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, throughout the and incidentally, if you're yeah. watching this version, I I would recommend you should also watch the studio version and listen yeah. to the commentary track on mm-hmm. that, in which there's an awful lot of kind of very nice background yeah. information about who individual mm-hmm. actors are and you know and the the, the films that they had mm-hmm. been in mm-hmm. and the nice uh, a nice anecdote about asking Bill Blatty about that mm-hmm. and Blatty saying it, it's kind of intentional but it's also a kind of synchronicity mm-hmm. it's kind of accidental synchronicity mm-hmm. now this is one of my favourite scenes okay so essentially the two men are meeting on the anniversary of mm-hmm. Karis's death they're both meeting because they believe that they're cheering the other guy up mm-hmm. and this is a very Blatty thing that in their friendship mm-hmm. Karis lives on but this is so wonderful not mm-hmm. least because the comedy in it is beautiful mm-hmm. that thing when he when he looks fed up because he pulls yeah. up late, they're going to miss the beginning of the film. Now, um, Kinderman flashes his thing, and he looks up to God and says, "I'm sorry," yeah. which is just a lovely, yeah. I think, a lovely little moment. And then there's this fantastic comic uh, scene in which Kinderman wants to get in and watch the film, which is a significant film. Um, but 
he can't because Father Dyer needs to buy lemon drops <laughs> because he's been taking confession from mm. kids and they've been breathing the lemon drops on him. And he says, between that and the pot, I think mm. the lemon drops is addictive. Mm. And he plays this so mm. brilliantly. And, and this is a scene from the novel, The Exorcist. Yeah. yeah. No, no, this is a scene from the novel of Legion. Yeah, that, uh, that, that scene... No, the lemon drops thing, I think, comes from the exercise. The lemon drop kid. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the gag about the lemon drop and kid. And actually, yeah. i got to say, put, highlight the poster for Here Comes Mr. Jordan, yeah, which we, is something that's discussed in the book, but also actually explains the whole premise of yeah. this film. So in Here Comes, comes, from here, in here comes Mr. Jordan, somebody is yeah. dying, and as their spirit leaves, another yeah. spirit gets slipped in, and it's, and it's literally <laughs> telling you that that's happening. But, yeah. You also have yeah. here the discussion about the carp, which serves two things. On the one hand, it's a great comic uh, moment. I love the fact that the camera sort of closes in very, very slowly. It's all done in one mm. take. Bill was very big on that. Mm. The other thing is, it's about the carp has to swim up and down in the bath mm. to clean out the impurities. Swimming. So there is this sense that's being set up, just in a very kind of background way, mm. that it's about bodies and spirit, things mm. passing through mm. them. And so it's kind of, even though it's just at the very sort of edge of it, it's the fact that it's all happening against the poster of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which Blatty loved. And of course, It's a Wonderful Life is what was one of uh, Blatty's favourite films. He absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it kept, kept coming up in his books. And there's, in the later sort of Trip to Heaven dream sequence, there's even an element of Michael Powell's Matter of Life and Death yeah. tipped in. And it's like, that's a whole little genre of 1940s afterlife Absolutely. Actually, quite often possession movies that's sort of not remembered as a cycle, but is, is, seems to me to be clearly influential. Now, let me throw in here. OK, so here yeah. is a photograph of Brad Dourif as Karis. Mm -hmm. And this is in the extended sequences. Mm -hmm. we, get, we get a longer conversation between Kinderman and Dyer. And what it does is it sets up the premise of mm -hmm. the film. In the existent version, in the studio version... Mm -hmm. It's the thing about the whole world is a murder scene. Mm -hmm. But what we get here is much more of what's in the book, which is the discussion between Kinderman and Dyer about the nature of life and death, about how we're spirits mm -hmm. in the world. And this kind of tells you much more about what Blatty was interested mm -hmm. in. He was a great writer of theological thrillers, but he also was a great user of comedy. And what he loved to be able to do was to talk about metaphysics, mm -hmm. but two guys overthink. There we go again. You mm -hmm. see in the middle of that, that's Brad Dourif. That's telling mm -hmm. you that that's Brad Dourif, his father, Karras. Now, in, the, in at least one version of the film, it opened with a prologue, which mm -hmm. you can see on the deleted scenes, in which after Karras has fallen down the stairs, mm -hmm. there is a scene in the morgue in which we establish that Brad Dourif is Father Karras. And I have to say, that's something I've never really appreciated until looking at all these versions again, that when Kinderman looks into the cell and sees Brad Dourif, he recognises Karras. Yes. Rather than, as in the studio version, where Jason Miller's in there, part of it. It is Karras. But then again, the whole plot of uh, Here Comes Mr Jordan involves people... Yeah, the audience sees yeah. somebody as somebody that the characters within the film don't see. Yeah, and in fact, so. funnily enough, there is in the original, after The Exorcist first opened in cinemas, and there was a worry that people thought that uh, Karis had been thrown out the window by the demon, <laughs> uh, Friedkin and Blatty talked about going back and shooting a, a new ending. <laughs> One version of that was just a shot of Karis walking back up the stairs, <laughs> and another version was later on, uh, Dyer falls into conversation <laughs> with a jogger 
who starts talking to him in metaphysical terms, mm. and his voice changes, and he realizes that the jogger is actually the spirit of Father Caris, mm. who says, "Don't you know me, Joe?" Mm-hmm. Which is a line yeah. from "Here Comes Mr. Jordan," which yeah. was then subsequently remade yeah. as uh, "Heaven, Heaven, Heaven Can Wait", Wait yeah. uh, with Warren Beatty. So, this for me is what Legion is about. <laughs> it's this conversation. It's the conversation in which Kinderman is saying. The whole world is a murder scene and your God goes, you know, stravancing blithely by like some cosmic Billy Burke. And Dyer is saying it's all going to work out in the end. But at the same time, he understands that this terrible, terrible crime Mm -hmm. has happened. And it's a matter of how do you reconcile Mm -hmm. evil in the world? And even this, which is a kind of there's almost a comic aside to the fact that she turns up to offer more coffee when he's in the middle of describing Mm -hmm. what had happened. Uh, with with the killing with Thomas mm-hmm. Kintry and the crucified on the rowing oars, which is a horrendous crime, but you never see it. Mm. Of course, in the studio version, you see a version of it yeah. in the in, in the kind of exorcism sequence, which shouldn't be in the film mm. at all. But in this, it's all to do with the power of the word, because Blatty was a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. He was somebody who 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 he he lived for dialogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, dialogue was his was that was mm. his forte. And actually, I think that this mm. conversation is great. Now, here is the first indication that something sinister is happening and it's not to do with seeing Brad DeRiff's serial killer Mm-mm. running around. So now this sequence is pretty much uh, as it is uh, mm-hmm. in, in the film. This is the, 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 the murder of the priest in which the voice changes mm-hmm. to a kind of demonic voice. In the exorcism at the end of the film in the studio version that isn't in this version because it shouldn't have been there, there is a moment at which the voice clearly turns mm. into the voice of Pazuzu. I actually said to Blatty, who is that voice meant to be? He said, well, it's Colleen Dewhurst, who, of mm. course, was married to um, George C. Scott, incidentally, mm. twice, I believe. Mm. And she's doing a version of Mercedes McCambridge mm. as the voice of Pazuzu in that final mm. end sequence. In this version, there is an implication when... Uh, Patient X, the body of Father Karras, is talking about how the Gemini killer got into the body after Father Karras's spirit had gone out. He says, somebody slipped me in, the master, the friend. The ma-. Yeah. So there is there is a kind of Pazuzu demon figure lurking yeah. in the background. But crucially, the, the reanimated body of Karras is reanimated by a human spirit, mm-hmm. by the spirit of the Gemini. And yeah. just before we started this, yeah. you were saying that that's an interesting... Yeah, because... I understand that one of Blatty's sort of thoughts of when asked to write a sequel to his big successful book, your first impulse is, no, the story's finished, it's over. (laughs) And then he found out that most authenticated possession cases were not of people who said they were possessed by demons, but were people who said they were possessed by other people. And in the prehistory of possession cinema, that had been the case. Yeah. Um, in uh, the Carol Lombard movie Supernatural, the possession of Joel Delaney, various versions of Donovan's brain. Even the Dibbuk is about possession by another person yeah. rather than the devil or a demon. Um, and so here we are reverting to that with this movie, which is actually, I'm not sure if it's the first, but it's... Um, early in a cycle of possessed by a serial killer films, isn't it? And in fact, it's Brad Dourif who is, in, who is 
um, who possessed a doll in Chucky. And he done. And in, in fact, there is a, play. there is yeah. a line in There's it in which Jones. he says "child's yeah. play," yeah. which is a deliberate gag. Incidentally, just a, a bit yeah. of trivia. If you're a reader of Fangoria magazine, you'll know that there is a photograph of the priest decapitated, mm-hmm. holding his head on in his hand in his lap, like mm-hmm. a like a football trophy. I asked Blatty about that because obviously mm-hmm. we never see it in the film. And I said, what was it? He said, well, the thing is, I never wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. He said, but the studio said, look, you know, we need we need something in here. So he said, so we did a shot of him with the head. And the studio said, obviously, you're going to zoom in. And mm-hmm. I said, yes. And then I didn't. <laughs> Bill, because he was fantastically honest, did say that sometime later when they were doing the final mm-hmm. cut, he said, I... I, I got weak. And he mm. said, I went back and I commissioned some opticals to try mm. and push it in. Mm. He said, but they never worked. They look grainy. Mm-hmm. And and in the end, and the, this is the phrase he used, mm. he said, and I didn't put it in. It was against my religion to do it. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. I didn't. But he also was big enough to admit that he did try. And that's why mm. if you ever see the Fango picture, it looks weirdly mm. blurry and distorted because it's actually a long shot that he then commissioned visuals mm. to push it in. And then it's not in the film mm. anyway, which he never wanted it to be mm-hmm. there. Now, there's a lot of this kind of atmospheric footage of Georgetown. Mm. One of Blatty's um, conditions was that the, sh- the film was shot in Georgetown. Exorcist 2 famously mm. didn't get permission mm-hmm. to shoot around uh, the same area. Mm. And so that's why at the end of Exorcist 2, the house falls down mm-hmm. because they had to build the exterior of the <laughs> yeah. house and uh, they had no idea where, where the script mm. was going. And somebody went, well... Let's have a vortex and the house will collapse into the vortex. So you get Richard Burton and Linda Blair and a ton of locusts and then the house falls down because, well, they built it. Why not? So, again, we're now moving towards kind of, you know, the the threat of things being spoken about Mm. rather Mm. than shown. And this was something that is very, very uh, blatty for me. Mm. He he absolutely wanted to make a film that was based on suggestion on the mm-hmm. on the power of what you didn't see you'll know that famously there was a disagreement between Blatty and Friedkin about how explicit the crucifix mm-hmm. scene should be in in the exorcist and Blatty had always said as far as he was concerned you would never see what you actually mm-hmm. see in the film itself and uh, he and Friedkin did have disagreements about that mm-hmm. um he in his own um, in his own creations of films, he was much much he he, he did shy away from explicit <laughs> stuff unless it was there for a very very kind of you know fleeting momentary purpose. And actually, one of the things about Legion is, with the exception of the of the ending that was stuck onto Exorcist mm. Three, it is fairly understated. Mm. I mean, it's it is to do with the the creaks and shadows of the mind mm. and what's said, not what you see. I love this sequence though; it's great <laughs> because it's there's. One of the things that, that, that Blatty does quite a lot is he will give you long takes, if you've seen The Ninth Configuration, which for me really is the gap between Exorcist and this. The Ninth Configuration is the one in between. It's the the one in which is a discussion about mm-hmm. you know faith and all that sort of. So now we're going to see this is Kinderman going to visit Dyer in the hospital. In this version, it's uh, slightly longer than the version in in the film. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff which is only in this version, not in the uh, in the studio version. And I'm thrilled for it because mm-hmm. I love this stuff between Kinderman and mm-hmm. Dyer, which is really the heart of the film because it's again Karis actually lives mm-hmm. on through this friendship between mm-hmm. these 
between these two people who are you're always constantly joking with each other. He's saying, I can't believe you're reading Women's Wear Daily. Why aren't you reading? He says, well, you don't get all the fashions in the other magazines. But it's again, it reminds you that Blatty came from comedy. He wrote A Shot in the Dark. He yeah. was... Uh, yeah. He was. Uh, that's what he did, bef- you know. Before, and incidentally, you mentioned the possession of Joel Delaney. Just worth saying that, of course, the possession of Joel Delaney was made by Shirley MacLaine, mm-hmm. upon whom the character of Chris McNeil was based. Blatty was yeah. a good friend of Shirley MacLaine's, and he wrote Chris McNeil as Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. And then, at one point, she was going to be in a version of The Exorcist in the original version, and, and then she wasn't. And then uh, Ellen Burstyn obviously did such a brilliant job with it, but she then went on to make her own possession movie, which was the possession yeah. of Joel Delaney, which incidentally I think has some interesting... I like it, actually. I mean, I, I, And I, a very creepy ending. Yeah, very, right. very creepy uh, ending. And it's based on a novel that came out before The Exorcist, so it's not even yeah, a rip-off. Yes, so I haven't read yeah. the novel. I have. It's, again, very interesting. So this, um, like this kind of, just these little kind of yeah. comic insertions, which, are, again, it's all to do with actually talking about... Um, you know, life, the universe and everything, whilst apparently not talking about it. We should also say one of the things about this, the hospital setting for this, Blatty was always interested in the intersection between um, spirituality and medicine, Mm -hmm. because in the case of the the Mount uh, Rainier case that first inspired the Mm -hmm. Exodus, the 1949 case, which is now pretty much debunked, and I Mm -hmm. think pretty solidly so, if you see um, The Devil and Father Mm -hmm. and Mort, there's a, you know, that's kind of acknowledged in that. Um, But uh, the 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 boy in that case did spend a lot of time in in hospital, mm. both there and at the and Alexian Brothers Hospital, mm. and then in, in in St Louis, and so there was a lot of medical intervention. Mm. Later on, of course, Friedkin would go on to make The Devil and Father Amort, in mm. which he filmed an exorcism and then took it to neuroscientists and mm. you know and said, well, what do you think is going on? So the hospital medicine thing has always been a connection. And in fact, throughout the the Exorcist series, there are more scenes in hospitals than there are in churches. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's one thing that even the despised Rennie Harlan film has a long scene in a mental hospital. Yeah, it's like all the films are compelled all the way back to um, Father Karras visiting his mother in a confinement facility. Yeah. Which, is a, which is a brilliant, a brilliant scene. scene. And it's reprised. Even, you know, John Borman does it. Um, and both Paul Schrader and Rennie Harlan do it. And here, and here is the whole film about, yeah. the, about it. Now, yeah. uh, so we start yeah. to see, this is the decapitated statue. Yeah. So all which these... nobody seems to notice. No, but... which is well, no, which is weird, isn't it? Nobody yeah. seems to notice it at all. Yeah. Um, but that thing about hospitals. So when I asked Blatty about where, what the origin of the story was, he told me this story that, that John Nicola, the uh, as a priest who had been a technical advisor on Exorcist, had told him a story about that he he had heard from a psychiatrist about being in a psychiatric ward and somebody had walked through and all the patients had erupted very, very violently and the psychiatrist had followed on afterwards and said, who you know, who, who are you? And he said he was he was actually, he's a priest in plain clothes carrying um, holy water in his top pocket. Now this, of course, connects back to Exorcist, the whole thing about Karis having the water. It's not holy water, it's tap water. And the very first time Karis goes to see Reagan, he's in his civvies, he's not dressed as a priest, which is why he says to, to um, Chris McNeil, did you tell her a priest was coming? And what then happened was that... Um, 
Blatty was very interested in that kind of, you know, psychology, parapsychology uh, intersection. And he had heard about some, some experiments that were done in Edinburgh in which patients who were either um, catatonic or um, injured in a way that made them unable to talk, somebody had done some experiments trying to record their voices using something that was basically very similar to EVP, electronic mm-hmm. voice phenomenon. An electronic voice phenomenon was was best known about after a book came out which was called Breakthrough Over Here, but in its original version in 1969 was called The Inaudible Becomes Audible. Mm-hmm. Konstantin Radiv, uh carrying on the work of um, a guy before him who'd been working in the 1950s, attempting to record the voices of the dead through tape recordings. We're now going to go to the dream sequence, which obviously Mm. owes a debt to the dream sequence from The Exorcist, which incidentally Mm. is in the novel. Mm. I mean, in the novel of The Exorcist, he he dreamed that dream about him, you know, trying to wave (laughs) to his mother. Now, crucially, it's not, heaven as such yeah. it's a waiting station yeah. it's a it's a train station it's mm-hmm. it's a place where it's a kind of it's a midpoint between yeah. this world and the next and there's, we'll an, s- there's another tiny film thing there in that 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 bit of that snatch of swan lake is the uh the theme music for dracula and the mummy wow there we go yeah. and i think this sounds like lee j cobb You know, I, it's I, I had, doing ne- yes, I had never Cole. thought of that, but that's interesting. It's it's the way he says the S's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is, I mean, clearly inspiration yeah. from Matter of Life and Death. <laughs> also, yeah. this reminds us that in one of the reviews of the film, I think the Newsweek review of the film, mm-hmm. they, they said that uh, William Peter Blatty is uh, David Lynch's good twin, <laughs> which I think is kind of slightly unfair yeah. to David Lynch, because yes. I think David yeah. Lynch is David Lynch's yes. good twin. But there yeah. is a brilliant surrealism <laughs> at work here. So this is kind of like a holding station mm-hmm. between this world and the next number of celebrity cameos, yes. Angels with Wings. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's uh, Samuel L. Jackson there yeah. in a tiny little role. Uh, the clock, which it's of not course, his voice though. No, not his voice. The clock, which is very important because we see the clock stopping in Iraq at the beginning of The Exorcist. This is Thomas Kintry, yeah. who's been murdered at the beginning of the of the film. And I mean, I love this sequence. This I is also Glenn Miller, who famously disappeared. so the tarot cards and again the tarot cards will recur later on we'll Mm -hmm. see a tarot card in 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 temple's office yeah sports stars they also turn up in rennie harlan's film i think we yeah okay well you know i think the harlan film is not the is not the deepest of wells but but so the, I I love about this yeah. also that the makeup there, which is obviously yeah. kind of Frankenstein yes. makeup, which is yeah. referring back to uh, yeah. you know to old horror movies, <laughs> but it's doing it in a way. I mean, it's talking about decapitation, but doing it in a way which mm. is not. The, there we go. There's the clock. Mm. I, that uh, extraordinary uh, yeah. shot, and then that. Yeah. Okay, so that obviously recalls Reagan McNeil mm. bouncing on the bed. But what that is is the blood being pumped mm. out of Father Dyer's body mm-hmm. by. The Gemini. I think that sequence is brilliant. Yeah, there's a very sort of 1940s feel to this whole film. I think it's like for something that's set in 1990. um, I mean, I think it's it. Yeah, in terms of like the musical reference, it's a film about middle-aged people, isn't it? Older people. Yeah, yeah, we don't get as, uh, and they go and watch old movies, uh, and they talk about you know, old people things, and and sort of bitch and moan and quetch. Uh, and even the the detective work is kind of real old school physical yeah, nuts and bolts, yeah. rather than 
it in the exorcist is actually much more high tech in terms of all the medical stuff you see here it's it's all it's still very much your lone genius working it out although the yeah. the 40s i mean i think you're absolutely yeah. right about the 40s yeah. because that was you know bill's you know favorite movies mm. you know casablanca and all that that's yeah. the period that he loved even in the exorcist kinderman seems to be from a from a movie from oh, another yeah. time yeah yeah. You know, he wanders around with yeah. the with the hat and the thing, yeah. and he's you know, and he's and uh, people have made the the comparison with Columbo, although actually, it's it, it's anachronistic because of when they were shot. But yeah, although Columbo pre-exists The Exorcist, yeah. they pre-exists the TV show. It was a play in about 1960. Yeah, which Blatty hadn't seen. Yes. But the point is yeah. that, that it's it's a throwback and the, character. And frankly, they're both stolen from Crime and Punishment. So <laughs> it's like, but also it is. Uh, real policemen don't do this. They go around in pairs. Yeah, and, and Columbo and Kinderman both do it on their, on their own. own don't yeah. They? yeah, and it's, and it's yeah. but what? But what, you're absolutely right that that forties mm. feel. And I, my own feeling is that Bill would have loved to hear you say mm. that because I think that's exactly what he's going and for. And the big nineteen forties horror sort of auteur was Val Luton, the man who famously yeah tried to keep stuff off screen and use sound yeah, yeah. and yeah. and this actually reminds me quite a bit in some ways of things like the seventh victim. Luton was also one of the first horror filmmakers, he was a producer rather than a director, to consider spiritual horror. Yeah, all yeah. his films start with like quotes from John Donne and uh, uh, you know include this this notion of bleakness. Yeah, uh, and yeah, sort of despair and, and sort of deep, heavy Russian stuff because Luton Luton was Russian. Uh, and I see that this is what, uh, the only other kind of like post nineteen forties film that I think does this is The Keep, another martyred and strange film. That's interesting. And there are whole sequences that that. Yeah, kind of evoke that. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's it's interesting that Paul Schrader sort of failed to make an Exorcist sequel, although you can see it now, because he's the other filmmaker with that sort of sense of spiritual desolation yes. as being the key to horror rather than gore and violence well, I or think, even you I, know, simple Christian horror. I think it yeah. was Schrader who said that The Exorcist mm. is basically God and the devil in the same room <laughs> yes. arguing yeah. over the body of a small girl. Which is mm. actually a very mm. good description of what it yeah. is. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not a fan of Dominion at all, but it's true that Schrader mm. does share with Blatty mm. an obsession with religion and the theology of what's mm. going on. I mean, if you look at something like First Reformed, you, you can yeah. see that that's clearly mm. the work of somebody. And again, mm. so this yeah. is the, this is the perversion of It's a Wonderful Life. The two L's at the mm. end, which tells you that it's the that it's the Gemini, but also. Mm that It's a Wonderful Life mm. becomes the line that recurs throughout mm -hmm. the film that lets him know that what patient X knows is mm -hmm. more than he could possibly know. Yeah, We don't get that much about the Gemini killer in no. the, in any version of the film, although there's a little bit more in the, the book. Um, but obviously he's a, a reference to the Zodiac killer yeah. and maybe Scorpio from Dirty Harry, who was also a kind of version yeah, of the Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah. But the whole thing about writing to the newspapers and that weird flirtatiousness comes from the Zodiac case. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is, in the novel of Legion, it is made quite clear that the reason Veneman, the young Veneman, who is the you know is the the, the Gemini killer. I don't think he's even named in this. He version. Is called, yes, he's called Veneman. Yeah, but is in this version? He is in Exorcist Three. There's a, okay. There's a shot in Exorcist yeah. Three which we had to yeah. take out of yeah. this version, <laughs> yeah. in which they have a picture of 
the of Venom and mm-hmm. the Gemini Killer, which is a picture of Brad Dourif, yeah. which had to be there in order to establish that he was one guy and yeah, that Karis yeah. was the other one. Yeah. That's obviously not in yeah. this version because mm-hmm. because now yeah, we know yeah. that Karis actually He's looks Brad, like yeah. Brad Dourif. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things which becomes yeah. slightly head scrambling. And also, it is worth saying. Mm-hmm. In the the recut, which incidentally was also a director's cut because Bill Blatty did direct yes, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one thing that does work is the intercutting between yes, no, the, I, the, the figure I, of of, of Carison. I, I, it's obviously a, a case. It's it's purely for production. Yeah, they thought they couldn't get Jason Miller, and then found they could, and then he couldn't quite do it, and then. But what resulted from the two people playing part? I'm sure both actors resented it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I it, interviewed both of them about it, and um, you know, Brad Dourif, when he had done the the work, a lot of which we'll see mm-hmm. later on in this mm-hmm. in the recut. He first did all his scenes in the cell over a period of two weeks in Wilmington. When they did the reshoots in America, he had two days. Mm-hmm. And when I first was talking to uh, Bill Blatty about this, Bill said, you know, there was in, an intensity to his performance when mm-hmm. it was just him that you can't get in mm-hmm. two days in Hollywood. That said, I think that Durif is brilliant in both versions. Yeah, yeah. I think he mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant in both mm-hmm. versions. And I did interview him about it. And he said, well, you know, he'd done all this work and he thought it was great. And then the first thing he heard when the studio had said, mm-hmm. OK, we need an exorcism. And also, yeah. why isn't that Karis? The first thing he had was that he was out of the film completely and oh, he was absolutely crushed. Yeah. And then so when he was brought back mm. in again, it was saving a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, I think the solution is elegant. Yeah. That cutting between mm. uh, Karis and I. So obviously now we have um, Scott Wilson, who mm. is the the star of the ninth configuration. Yeah. He's in the ninth configuration. He's well, he's Manfred Cutshaw mm. in the book. He's Billy Cutshaw in the mm. film. He's the astronaut who won't mm-hmm. go to space because he's worried that if he dies in space and there is no mm. God, then that is properly mm. truly alone. And the whole uh, thesis of the of the of the story is: show me one act of selflessness, mm-hmm. and I will believe in God. And then it, it, that's what happens, and that's how he's sort of mm. finally cured. This character is called Mrs. Clelia. The reason she's called Mrs. Clelia is talked about in The Exorcist, in fact. It's to do with a Jungian experiment with getting in touch either with spirits of the dead or with the subconscious, which was to do with anagrammatic audio writing. And a phrase which came up, which was anagrammed into the phrase, I Clelia feel. Mm-hmm. He would, the 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 subject was talking to somebody who identified mm-hmm. themselves. And their name was Clelia, and then they another scrambled sentence, which was then was it, I Clelia feel. Later on, they came back to it. It said no, it was no one. But that name mm-hmm. leads into also in the novel of Legion. There is much mm-hmm. more about EVP, mm-hmm. um, electronic voice phenomenon, the voice of the dead. And she talks about um, you know dead people talking on the radio. Mm-hmm. It's all a bunch of pies and anchovies. Mm-hmm. Later on, we see somebody tuning into mm-hmm. a radio set. In the novel of Legion, there is a whole character called Vincent Amfortas mm-hmm. who becomes complete. He's lost his the love of his life, mm-hmm. and he becomes completely obsessed with doing EVP recordings, mm-hmm. which is recording silence and then listening mm-hmm. to that silence over and over and over again. And as you listen mm-hmm. to it you start to hear voices. Now, in the novel, Vincent Amfortas does some some tests and comes up with little mm. phrases that he thinks he hears. Those are based on tapes that Blatty made himself mm. and that I sat with him in his house at that point in Santa mm. Barbara and listened to those tapes. Mm. And 
the interesting thing is that the argument is well one argument is well it's the voices of the dead catching you through things the mm. other one is your voice your your mind hears static or, mm. or white noise for long enough and it imposes order mm. on it I have to say that I think that the latter is the case. <laughs> yeah. But whilst I was sitting <laughs> yeah. in a room with Bill Blatty with headphones yeah. turned up to 11, listening to a thing going, yeah. it's literally as we hear, like, and then coming to But it's never that. It's yeah. things like yeah. horse blanket yeah. or um, yeah. hope it, yeah. tiny little yeah. gnomic phrases. Yeah. Um, you could argue. I that, should tell you instead that one yeah, of them yeah, on a tape that yeah, Bill had made, yeah. he said, "I've never been able to tell what this is. Yeah. What is it?" And he played it to me, and I heard as clear as day my name, and I nearly yeah. jumped out of my skin. <laughs> yeah. But of course, I nearly heard because that you hear things that yeah. you recognise. Yeah. You know. Now this is obviously when he starts to look into the cell. We now start to see the you know more of the reconstruction, mm -hmm. which is. That from now on in the cell, we will only ever see mm. Scott Wilson. We will never see Jason Miller, who is only Brad ever. Brad Dourif, you mean? <laughs> what did I say? Scott Wilson. I mean, yeah, yeah, so Brad yeah, Dourif. Sorry, Kim. Yeah. Uh, we will only see Brad Dourif there. Mm. We will never see um, Jason Miller because Jason Miller only exists mm -hmm. in the reshoots. Yeah. This this is VHS tapes. This yeah. is VHS tapes of the dailies, mm. which were used to attempt to reconstruct mm -hmm. the film as it had originally been constructed. Yeah. There's a weird ghost presence throughout this this whole franchise of Stacey Keach. Yes. Who didn't get to be Father Karras. Although he was cast. Was cast. Then stars in the ninth configuration. After Nicole yeah. Williamson hadn't, yeah. wasn't in yeah. there. And then appears in Jason Miller's film, that championship season yeah, to yeah. complete. So obviously, yeah, the, and... and the, the sense that, that Blatty himself wanted to be Karras as well. It yeah. seems to me that this whole series of films is an argument over who gets to be Karras. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody seemed to want... Yeah, it's like... Yeah, when when kids play cowboys, everybody wants to be wired up. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Bill had, yeah. had some acting experience yeah. and there is a... In, uh, there has been said in, in interviews that he had talked about playing Karras. I don't know whether that any truth in that. Yeah. He had de uh, J Jason Miller definitely told yeah. me that he he uh, wanted to. He at mm. one point thought that he would play the lead in the ninth configuration, mm. although which of course ended up yeah. being played by Stacey Keach. Um, but I don't know how. I think mm. there was more because everything was falling apart and that they yeah. needed somebody to step mm. in. And he thought, well, I, you know, if worst comes to worst, I can do it. I know that there has been uh, talk recently about he wanted to play Karras. Mm. I don't know the truth. William Friedkin says that, that in, a in, 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 in Leap of Faith. Leap of Faith yeah. The thing is, it's sort of fascinating when you, you consider, well... In that case, how did Blatty feel when another non-acting writer got the job? Yeah, you know, I, 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 don't, I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. I, certainly Bill never said that to yeah. me. Uh -huh. I do know that Jason Miller talked about him suggesting himself as a substitute when they had lost mm -hmm. the lead in uh, Ninth Configuration. Mm. Now, again, this is where we were talking about the the, the Gemini killer and what you see mm -hmm. and what you don't see and uh, in the in the studio version i can't remember if it's in this scene mm -hmm. or a later scene there is there's a shot in which you see the headshot mm -hmm. of Brad Dourif to establish that Brad Dourif is the Gemini mm -hmm. as opposed to the person who is now down in the cell which is Jason Miller pardon mm -hmm. me for saying yeah. <laughs> whatever i said last <laughs> yes, time yeah. but the thing is even if you've lived within this world for as long yeah. as i have it kind of gets confusing absolutely sometimes. and i think it should do i think that's i i get i I know a lot of this is accident over arguments between yeah. people who have mutually irreconcilable visions of this story. 
Yeah. And we've, we've said before that if there's a real curse of The Exorcist, it's nobody can ever finish an Exorcist film, <laughs> isn't it? It's like every, there's always the, the yeah, different versions hanging right. in the air. It's and... like it'll never come together. But I think that's one of the strengths of the series It's that we can still argue about it. I yeah. mean, here we are yeah, still yeah. arguing on a shot-for-shot basis over what's canonical and what's not. No, yeah. I agree. Uh, well, I, I have always right. held that yeah. as far as Exorcist is concerned, the power of that film is in the conflict between Blatty and Friedkin. Yeah. That because yeah. it's written by somebody who is very clear about what the theology mm. means, and it's directed by somebody who is very unclear about what mm. the theology means. And therefore, the film is pulling in two different mm-hmm. directions, and I think it's a strength. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I included in my BFI mm. book a shot from the signed copy of The Exorcist that Blatty gave Friedkin on the mm-hmm. on the opening day of The Exorcist, in which he dedicated it to he said to Billy on big on the day of the Big E, um, to the perhaps the only director who ever made a film better than mm. the book. And I thought it was a fantastically honest thing to say, Absolutely. considering the yeah. fights that they'd had, yeah. because he knew he mm. knew how good that film was, mm. even though he had always struggled with the things that he wanted mm. back in the conversation mm. on the stairs, the original ending. Mm. He knew that the, the tension mm. between the two of them had created something that was greater yeah. than the sum of its parts. Mm. And it seems to me that for the for the rest of their lives, they seem to be like a uh, yeah you know, a divorced couple who are squabbling over custody of the. Exorcist. Funnily enough, um, yeah. uh, Billy Friedkin described yeah. them as a married couple, yeah. and in fact, they were very very close. Later, mm. you know, towards the you know in the later years, they became very very close. Mm-hmm. They had a period of not being so mm. close, but then they were. When I interviewed them for The Fear of God in 1998, which was, I mean, I'm hugely proud of that documentary mm. because we got everybody. Mm-hmm. For a start, everybody was still, still with us. Yeah. But also we got access and we we found the missing footage that hadn't been seen before. But it, we have a, the, my favourite bit in that is Blatty and Friedkin sitting mm-hmm. at a table arguing, even mm. then, yeah. about how they could have shot yeah. a scene better, <laughs> yeah. which I think is, is great. Okay, so now there's some sort of uh, toing and froing mm. here about the murder weapon. The crucial thing here is that the 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 shears, which, as far as I understand, that's not actually that that's like a Cronenbergian yeah, invention. Yeah, okay, yeah. the crucial thing is that the shipping tag is still on it, mm-hmm. and what that tells you is that it's new. Mm-hmm. And in you know the film, well, where where's the other one? Mm-hmm. So the crucial thing is that the shears have gone missing, mm-hmm. and the tag is telling you. But one of the things mm-hmm. about Legion is if you don't pay close attention. Mm-hmm. You can miss a lot yeah. of this stuff, even if it's actually so explicitly spoken in the mm. dialogue. One of the things that Blatty's always been very good at doing is just a, just mm. a half sentence, an unfinished. Like there's yeah. a moment in the Ninth Configuration when Scott Wilson takes a book off the shelf and he goes, "How I believe by Teilhard," and then he stops. He never finishes mm. it, and people go, we, we, "So we, okay, so there's the statue that we will see yeah. without the head and with uh, a, a dagger replaced." Now we get into um, this conversation. And this conversation is different in uh, the two different versions. And there's some key stuff which is which is different. Firstly, it's to do with how much background information we have about what the, mm-hmm. what the connection might be. But secondly, they had started, even in, in the original shoot in Georgetown, of having to provide possible off-roads for what happens if Morgan Creek want an exorcism. So there is a discussion in the studio version about Paul Mourning. Mm -hmm. Go and see Father Paul Mourning. 
And uh, Bill Blatty said to me that they recorded several versions of that line. The clock stopped, incidentally. So that's a direct reference yeah. to the clock stopping in Iraq, in The Exorcist, when Merrin is talking to the uh, archaeologist. Um, and that's a thing which occurs throughout the, that mm -hmm. film and this film. Anyway, they were providing off-ramps, like what happens if we need mm -hmm. to do an exorcism? Because even at this point, the ending was up for grabs. The screenplay that was doing the rounds at this time actually had to be continued, mm -hmm. written on the last few pages. It actually yeah. got to the the bit with the with the nurse falling mm -hmm. backwards, and then it said to be continued. And in the EPK material, they made a big deal about this. Oh, mm -hmm. we don't want the devil to know what we're going to do with him. <laughs> the reason was because Blatty was allowed to have his version of the mm -hmm. film, which they had never really bought the ending, mm -hmm. and he was allowed to have a preview. And if it worked, fine. But if it didn't work, mm -hmm. then he would have to go back and do an exorcism. Mm -hmm. And what was being allowed for, even back then, was the possibility of an off-ramp for a character that mm -hmm. ends up being Paul Morning, Father Morning, played mm -hmm. by Nicole yes. Williamson, who kind of, as you said, sort yeah. of haunts this whole yeah. sort of strange uh, yeah. universe. But that's obviously been removed from mm -hmm. this version in favour of what, what the conversation is actually about is about... Um, Firstly, is there any connection between these murders? There's a possibility of it being something, the mm. connection being the... the oh, so now we see that's the Joker's face yeah. and the yeah. and, and the dagger, which is, re and again, that's, really creepy and left kind of... Yeah, I assume Warner Brothers owned the Joker, so... Yeah. Presumably, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they can, they, but it's a, it's a weird left field um, It really is, thing, isn't it? But if, I suppose... Jack Nicholson had just played the Joker, so he was famous again. But that doesn't look like Jack Nicholson as the Joker. No, that no, looks no. like a, a Jerry Robinson drawing from the 40s. And that's also very much yeah. like in uh, Ninth Configuration. There's that picture of, uh, is it Bela Lugosi as Dracula, right, yeah. isn't there? You know, yeah. so which which yeah. uh, looming over the, <laughs> over the pool table. That, yeah. I think, is quite a nice little false jump it's you know the, yeah. it's 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 yeah. tension and then it's you you, know, you get it's, a little well it's not a false jump it's a bus which is what bus. val luton called of course it, it is yeah. yeah um do you want to just explain the bus yeah it's... the bus is a sequence from cat people and I, val luton didn't invent jump scares but he named them the bus because there's a scene in cat people where after something creepy has happened a bus suddenly turns up in the in the frame and you get the hiss of the hydraulic brake and everybody jumps and thereafter, he would say, this film needs a bus. And what he means is that scene in Halloween where a pipe comes through the window. It's yeah. not actually the scary thing. The scary thing is going to come later. It's the full scare you get with the cat, which you usually follow with the real scare of the monster. Yeah. Um, but this film actually uses the full scare quite often. Um, yeah, it does. It's a master of it, in yeah. fact. Um, and I think that, that it... You you keep referring to to Blatty's prehistory as a, as a comedy writer, and I think you know there's a sense that if this was lit differently, you'd think of it as a comedy because it is all about people. And in fact, even The Exorcist is full of characters making jokes to each other uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in ways that maybe because the the overall film is so suspenseful and tense and somber in lighting, you don't get. Yeah, even Pazuzu makes jokes. Yeah, right. And it's like, and of course, in The Exorcist, yeah. Pazuzu makes loads of jokes. Yes, I mean, Pazuzu yeah. is almost like a kind of, you know, yeah. like a raconteur. Yeah, in which fact, we do, the Joker, yeah. which we do see yeah. as the Gemini. Uh, I'm just watching yeah. this again, and I'm so there are basically there are two there are two conversations. We'll see yeah. later on. There's a whole shot with a camera coming down a spiral staircase, yeah. which is not in the original version. 
And as I said, when, uh, after mm. the sort of umpteen versions, I kind of sometimes mm. get confused as to which is which. Yeah. But the crucial thing is we don't hear about Paul Morning. Yeah. Paul Morning isn't in the film at any point. Yeah. This is now the discovery yeah. that Mrs. Clelia's fingerprints mm-hmm. are the thing that link her to the to to the yeah. to, 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 to the murder. And Mrs. Clelia is obviously uh, not capable of mm-hmm. having done this. So it's the the mystery is now why yeah. is why are Mrs. Clelia's fingerprints yeah. there? As we know, because we know that the Although, story it's, weirdly there's no back reference. Kinderman knows that Reagan Neal's body threw Burke Dennings out of a window. So he, in his own history, he should understand what's going on here. Also, more explicitly in the novel, the the suggestion is that he's the connection. Mm. Yeah, that, that he's yeah. the that he's the thing, and of course, it's not a surprise that his mm. name is Kinderman, which yeah. of course later on with the Julie stuff, yeah. it's the it's the it's the K has yeah. to be. Incidentally, we're both on the killers list. Oh, we are, yeah. Yes, we are. Because <laughs> yeah. you're a Kermode Kermode, and I'm a yeah. Kim. So, yeah. yeah. Will we make it through the well, end? Well, that's okay. Film? Nicole Williamson turned up <laughs> yeah, and blew right. everything up. It yeah. was all fine, you know. Yeah. There's a famous um, quote that uh, that Brad Dourif said to me, and it was in the mm-hmm. Fangoria article that I wrote, that I think was pretty much the first thing that covered the original version in which he had uh, George C. Scott had said of the recuts, they won't be happy unless Madonna comes out of the floor yeah. at the end and <laughs> yeah. sings a song. So now we're in uh, Temple's office again. There's the tarot card. This scene is really Wondering. peculiar. One of the reasons it's peculiar is, it, it, it again, if you don't pay close attention, it's unclear what he's doing. He is rehearsing a, a speech. We find out later on that, you know, the whole thing is that Temple had to get Kinderman to come and see the patient in the isolation ward. Um, and it's important. When we see him here, he's written it down and he's rehearsing it and he's kind of rehearsing it like a bad play. And then there's, a, there's almost a comic moment halfway through when he's telling Kinderman, in which he forgets his words and he has to lean over mm. and look at it in the drawer. But sometimes, pe- I mean, weirdly, people don't get that the whole mm. point is he's he's been scared by or mm. fascinated by or entranced by the Gemini killer, mm. Patient X. Yeah. And he's had to learn the speech. Yeah, I have to say, this is essentially the plot of the Testament of Dr. Mabuza, which was another early possession movie yeah, yeah. where the head of the asylum is possessed by the uh, psychopathic mad genius yeah. who's his prime patient. Um, no, that's a brilliant observation. And yeah. that is a, that's a very good connection. Yeah, absolutely. I love all the little things in the background, mm. the little sort of strange yeah. demon it, figures. This I, is really bizarre. I think as there's well. some William Blake in there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, might even, again, Red Dragon is another um, uh, yeah. mad psychiatrist uh, movie. I think Scott Wilson is brilliant mm. in this because he plays, I mean, this is very much like mm. a comic sequence. This whole mm. thing of him putting out the cigarette, which takes yeah. forever and mm. is funny. But then when he does the thing, when he does the lean halfway through, when he's doing the he's doing the big speech and he kind of leans, look at it in the drawer, that's absolute. And if you've seen the ninth configuration, the ninth configuration is hilariously funny. I mean, it's laugh out loud funny. It's a comedy that just happens to end in a massive bar fight (laughs) and is all about the existence or non-existence of God. And it's, it's also this kind of just the way he holds a cigarette I mean again you were talking about 1940s films Mm. there is something so practiced and mad that's not how anyone in the world holds a cigarette yeah 
My favourite weird cigarette imposture in films is uh, Leslie Banks as Count Zaroff in The Most Dangerous Game, <laughs> who has a really unique yeah, way yeah, look, of holding look, it that he does it that as well. Yeah. yeah. He has a unique yeah. way of holding it that's not like anyone yeah, else. No, no one would ever hold a cigarette. And there's that thing back there which looks like an anchor but it also looks a bit like the statue of Pazuzu. Uh, yes uh, and of course actually weirdly enough in The Exorcist something I hadn't noticed I was astonished somebody put a photograph on Twitter a couple yeah. of years ago of the the sideboard in uh, Mrs. Carris's house in New York mm. and uh, Mrs. Carris's flat and said I've never noticed this before and I was looking at it going what 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 and I tweeted the guy. I said, "What? What have I not noticed?" And on the desk is a copy of like a Newsweek magazine or something, which has got the Statue of Pazuzu <laughs> on it. I've never noticed it. I mean, I've seen the film. Okay, so here we are now. Again, we're into the the VHS daily stuff because we're we're working from a reconstruction yeah. in which we're taking out Jason Miller. But this is how it should have been originally. Now, you'll notice that the walls of this cell are completely different mm -hmm. to the walls of the cell that are in the reshoots. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the things that Blatty thought was that the walls in the reshoots are more to his mm -hmm. liking. But you can tell which version we're in as opposed mm -hmm. to you know, just to the quality of the, of the film. But by what the brickwork, like if it's the big block panels, mm -hmm. it's the reshoots. If it's the, if it's the stonework, it's the mm -hmm. original. No age, no description of what he was wearing. So again, a slightly longer version of this uh, sequence, and it's to do with establishing mm -hmm. that there isn't a record of what the Gemini was like when he was mm -hmm. picked up. This is a bit of shoe leather. Yeah. Um, but, but what it establishes, and again, a lot more is made mm -hmm. of this in the novel, is that they don't have the records. It's mm -hmm. not just a simple matter of, is it him? Is it because mm -hmm. they don't have the necessary records? Mm -hmm. And in fact, later on, when they dig up Brother Fane, there is, mm -hmm. th th there's, there's, it's it's in this version. Yeah. It's Kinderman who says yeah. that's not him. Yeah. But there is some level of ambiguity about exactly who it and is. I, and I have to say that's a sequence from Hammer's Revenge of Frankenstein. Yeah, where um, Doctor Frankenstein, uh, in order to escape the guillotine, um, replaces the the priest who's hearing his confession, and later on they exhume Frankenstein and find the priest's body. Right, right, right. Um, but again, I suspect that's not an influence on this. But it's uh, well, you know, Blatty... but, but horror kind of resonates like that. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, Blatty was very well versed in cinema. I mean, he'd seen a lot of movies, and he'd seen a lot of. Um, I mean, he'd seen a lot of horror cinema. Although he was mm. never a particularly a horror fan. Mm. I mean, that was always the weird thing was that. He came from being a comedy mm. writer to being somebody who wrote The Exorcist and then became Master of Terror. Mm -hmm. And there's this famous thing that the reissued version of Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane says, you know, shocks to the soul. Mm. When it first came out, it had a thing which says nobody writes lines funnier <laughs> than Blatty because yeah. that was that was what his thing was. Yeah. I love George C. Scott's performance in this mm -hmm. film, but I think that moment when he almost falls over because it, it, the, it, the yeah. shock of it all is too yeah. much that he's realised... When he says, oh, you know, I, I think that that mm. person in that cell is the same person that I saw die. Mm. Again, we'll hear it's repeated, but think mm. about it, he was my best friend. I loved him. And you go, he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you met him, you suspected him of murder. <laughs> yeah. No, he never suspected no, Carrie's of murder. The person he suspected of murder is Carl. Yeah. Carl in oh, The Exorcist. Another is the, K. Yeah, yeah, another K. Yeah. In the novel of oh, The Exorcist, yeah. it's the Carl and Elvira subplot yeah. is actually, that's the crucible yeah. of, you know, the evil mm. is the crucible of good. The thing that nobody sees is that actually as a result of it, the father is reunited mm. with the lost daughter mm. through the yeah. investigations of Kinderman. Now, so 
welcome back to Brad Dourif's lost performance. <laughs> yes. And I, I think he's he's absolutely brilliant. Now, the footage that you're going to see now of mm -hmm. the uh, disinter disinterring, that's the word, isn't yeah. it? Digging yeah. up Karras. Yeah. In the recut version, there is a shot looking up from the grave of um, of the two cops, mm -hmm. and that's kind of that's the end. It looks like they're burying Karras. Mm -hmm. This is them digging up the grave that should have been Karras, mm -hmm. and actually turns out to be Brother Fane, which we'll hear more about mm -hmm. uh, later on. But the shot of looking up from the grave when Kinderman says that's not him mm -hmm. is then re that shot. Mm -hmm which is the end of the recut version, mm -hmm. that's taken out. And in fact, so the shot means the opposite thing. In this version, they're digging him up. Mm -hmm. In the end version, that same shot is them burying him. So this is the old cell. Mm -hmm. As you can see, the design is yeah. very different. It's more like Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter cell than yeah. Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter yes. cell, no, isn't it? Exactly so. And in fact, yeah. I do think that, that Blatty was right, that the, the second cell was kind of... It made more sense because it, because that does look like the castle, you know, yeah. for, for Dracula. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. E even uh, in America, they don't keep psychiatric patients in places like that. No. <laughs> yeah. Now it's it's worth saying mm. here. Obviously, there's we have some of the post production, not mm. all of it, but some of it, and the long extended shots, partly because we're working from dailies, mm. but also partly because Blatty did use a lot mm. of that. To go back to the, the central theme of the novel um, and the central theme of Legion is that the Gemini killer wants Kinderman to, to tell the world that he is the Gemini. Mm -hmm. The Gemini's motive is, in the book, he is trying to stop his father, the evangelist, who was also an abusive father, mm -hmm. from making a comeback. And so the reason in the book for the, the, the resurgence of the Gemini at this point is that he has to come. And the reason he was doing K was mm -hmm. we have to keep killing daddy. He had to keep killing daddy because daddy was an evangelist, but he was actually a very abusive mm. evangelist. And he wanted to shame him and discredit him. And we get a fragment of that mm. in the film, but not not much He's of like it. mentioned once and... and, and he says he's the father yeah, who he, who he yeah. hated and, and wanted no to keep... no matter how much we might argue over the, the, the ending of the two film versions, they're both better than the ending of the book well, where, yeah. where the evangelist drops dead and suddenly it's all over. Although I yeah. should say that yeah. in the original version, in the version of the screenplay that's published in this yeah. Faber book, the spontaneous death thing still happens. Mm. So when um, Blatty originally wrote the script, it mm. did have an ending very, very similar to, mm. to the novel, which is that the death is spontaneous. Mm. And Bill described for me, he was trying to figure out a way of making the end work. And he described for me standing in his kitchen and suddenly realising that the end had to be that Kinderman kills um, uh, the Gemini, kills mm -hmm. patient X. And of course, that therefore he sacrifices himself mm -hmm. because by killing him, it's murder. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. you know, he goes into the thing. Yeah, We've already mm -hmm. had the thing with, yeah. you know, his nose is broken, but he goes in and he yeah. shoots him in the head. And so that's it. He's going yeah. to face, uh, you know, summary yeah. trial for murder. So he is in much yeah. the same way as Karras mm. did. He's sacrificing himself. Although he is an American policeman, he could always say, "I just thought, I thought so he was going." I started it. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> there he was shackled to the cell, but I saw him reaching for something, Your Honor. Yeah. <laughs> now look, don't you think that this performance is? Oh yeah, I mean, no, it's, I, I, it's I, a masterclass. Um, Brad Dourif is. He, 
I suppose he must have been annoyed at being typecast as mental patients and serial killers, but because of course he's so good at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, you know, famously, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Although yeah. the Billy Bibbit characters is complete, it's completely mm, ab- different. Yeah. But mm. I think what's what's brilliant about this performance. Tell you what, he doesn't look fifteen years older than he did in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No, no, no. But the brilliance of this performance is, in in Exorcist, you know, there is supernatural goings mm. on, but so much of this. It's to do with what he says. Mm. It's the conversation, and I think that even in the even in the recut version, mm-hmm. the conversa- the real terror in the film comes mm. in the conversations between uh, Durif's character mm-hmm. and George C. Scott's character. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think there is an intensity to this take because, mm-hmm. as as Blatty said, this was two weeks they spent in that same thing, and it's like a theatrical mm. setting. You 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 know you sink into the character, mm-hmm. and when I. Went back to 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 see Bill a couple of years after I'd done the piece in Time Out because I went over to America to interview him on the, just before the film came out and as I said I did ask him about the recuts and he told me he said I'll tell you off the record because obviously at that point the film was being promoted and and uh, you know he it was it wasn't publicly acknowledged but a couple of years later I went back and I sat with him in his house and he was showing me videotapes of the original version, and this is some of the videotapes that he was showing me. And he was saying this, you know, Dureff's performance was never better than when he did it in this first time round. And I think one of the things that bothered him so much was that that hadn't been appreciated by mm-hmm. the test audience mm. who just thought, well, why, you know, why, why isn't, why aren't heads spinning around? Mm. And why, yeah. why, why isn't anyone levitating, mm. which is what you end up getting in mm. the thing. I mean, I think that there is in that character that he plays here, and these are long, unforgiving mm-hmm. shots. These are long speeches, long, you know, mm. monologues. It's it's wonderful. And it, and as you were saying before, it's also witty and funny mm. when he starts talking about being a showman and you know, quote, you know, I I mm. like plays, the good ones, mm. Shakespeare. I like Titus Andronicus. It's sweet. I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. And he <laughs> plays it really, really well, really, really playfully. these strange the animal noise impressions mm. and then the singing mm-hmm. and also that kind of iconic um you know the two beams of light mm. going down either way which that is a very very sort of theatrical setup I mean, this is really what the heart of the film is about mm. and crucially if you're um if you're a you know blatty father as i am the whole thing comes down to um that kinderman has to come to believe that this is the reincarnated spirit of the Gemini. Mm-hmm. The Gemini wants that because he wants to keep shaming his father, mm-hmm. who is about to make a resurgence. Like we don't know that in this version. That's only in the novel. Mm-hmm. But from the from the narrative of the film's point of view, it's to do with Kinderman realizing that after he had the conversation mm-hmm. with um, Father Dyer, you know, death. It's not a mm-hmm. winner. It's it's a bad idea. And Dyer says, "We're all going to live forever. We're spirits." Mm-hmm. And through his conversations with the Gemini, he will come to mm. believe that. And that, for me, is the heart of Blatty's story. Mm. It's about a sceptic coming across a circumstance mm. which convinces him that there is more to this world, mm-hmm. Horatio, than in your philosophy yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. And and actually, it is all to do with the conversations. Mm. So in this version, he, he saves his friend Karas by killing him, but he doesn't necessarily destroy the Gemini killer. Sorry, who saves Karas? Um, Kinderman oh, by, fine. by shooting fine, fine. him, right? But the Gemini killer has already proved that he can pos- he can possess anyone within range. Yeah. Okay. So very very specifically, 
despite the fact that um, the, the, this body, that the Karras' body mm. says, he is inside with us, mm. he will never get away. Mm. It's very clear in the book and also, I think, in this version that that's not true. Mm. One of the things about a line from The Exorcist yeah. that people forget is the devil is a liar. He will yeah, lie yeah, to confuse, yeah. but he also mix lies with mm-hmm. that, okay? So when he says he is inside with us, mm-hmm. he isn't. Right. Karras has gone. Karras has gone. He's in yeah. heaven thanks to his sacrifice at the beginning, or probably in limbo because he commits suicide in order to... It's not suicide. So, well, That's okay. Yeah. No, okay. So there we go. So there, yeah. there's a whole yeah. other kind of conversation. So, so this was the argument that Friedkin and Vladdy had in the first yeah, place. I, well, I don't even know that that... You see, that's a weird one, yeah. Kim, because um, in the novel of The Exorcist, mm. it is ambiguous. In the novel of The Exorcist, mm. you don't know what happened in mm. the room. You are downstairs yeah. and you hear a voice, which is a different voice to the Reagan-possessed mm-hmm. voice, which is the Karras-possessed voice, saying, mm-hmm. no, no, I won't let you. And then he goes out the window. Mm-hmm. In the film, it isn't ambiguous. In the film, mm. it's actually very clear. Mm. In the film, you actually see what you don't see in the book, which is that Karras comes in, sees Merrin dead on the floor, sees Reagan laughing, and incidentally, we hear the laughter mm. in this mm. in this film elsewhere in the in the halls of, of Georgetown University. He sees it and he flips and he grabs Reagan and he throws her to the floor and he says, you know, you son of a bitch, take me, mm. come into me. And then there is a very clear shot mm. in which Karis becomes possessed. Mm-hmm. He falls backwards with the possessed makeup mm-hmm. on. Then he comes forward and he looks towards Reagan and he holds his hands out. He's going to kill her because mm-hmm. now the demon is mm-hmm. in Karis. And then with a supernatural, he goes, no. And you see his face mm-hmm. go back to being mm-hmm. Karis and he throws himself out the window. So that I mean, my own feeling is that the whole argument about the ending of the film being ambiguous, it isn't. It's no, about yeah. as clear as it could yeah, be. No, I agree. And, and the novel is ambiguous. Yeah. And I think that that's William Friedkin's decision of having a, an ending that everybody understood rather than yeah. leaving it. And and my feeling is that theologically, Karras doesn't commit suicide. He um, is the equivalent of, of grabbing a crazed tutor and yes, jumping off a bridge with exactly him. Exactly so. Yeah. And again, there is a similar thing in the Ninth Configuration, which, of course, Blatty yeah. worried about, which is mm-hmm. that at the end of the Ninth Configuration, the character played by Stacey Keach kills himself in order to demonstrate one act of goodness. Mm -hmm. But there's another version of that because Blatty was concerned that it could look like Mm -hmm. suicide. So there's another version in which you don't have the knife, Mm. in which they redid the voice, in which he says at the last moment the biker's knife slipped in. Mm. And that version doesn't work for me. The whole Mm. point is he has to give up his own life as sacrifice, which which is what all of this stuff Mm. is about. So this is you can see this is from the um, the, the 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 reshoot stuff mm. because you can see the, the background of the cell yeah. is completely different. Incidentally, I think credit should be given to um, Shout Factory and mm. uh, Cliff McMillan was the person that I was dealing with because because they I think they have done a mm-hmm. brilliant job in attempting to reconstruct as much as they mm. could from the materials what there was. So- and my involvement in this was that I had an email from them saying look, we're going to try and do this. I was in obviously in regular email contact mm. with Bill. Um, we gave them the script that was published mm-hmm. in the Faber version. And then there was just a matter of how much stuff could be found. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a, a really terrific job um, in in reconstructing as best possible mm-hmm. to show what it was that Bill Blatty was trying to do. So is there anything significant that is just not here, that doesn't exist or couldn't be found? or, or Is there anything in yeah, this there- version we're watching that, it's absent from this version we're watching that ought to be in it. Well, 
you will notice that at the very end, after um, the attack in the house and uh, the character falls back and ah, screams, and then it cuts straight to Kinderman turning up. Mm-hmm. And now in the original script, I mean, there are many different versions of the script. There is, in fact, even a version of the script, which I believe will be included on this Blu-ray, in which it's not. It's, they're different characters, because yeah, yeah. you know, the, the story had many incarnations. But um, the thing about the ellipsis of what happens between that fall and Kinderman coming mm-hmm. in, realising that he is, is very, very blurred. So in the version of the script that we published, um, so this is the thing, so he's already, he's already beaten him up mm-hmm. once. <laughs> um, you hear Nurse X says, he's dead, the bastard is dead, yeah. because that's to do with the father having <laughs> been killed. Yeah. And then there is just a little bit of kind of, you know, you, it's clear that that's what's happening. You don't have that because what we don't have is any of the backstory. There was also at one point there was uh, flashbacks to the young version mm-hmm. of the uh, of the Gemini, and we see the abusive father, mm-hmm. and it explains why it is that at that moment it all stops. Of course, in the recut version, the thing that stops <laughs> the Nurse X attack is that Paul Morning turns up. Mm-hmm. You go how. At, mm. Paul, at what point mm. did Paul Morning ever find out about this character? You know, so was anyone cast as uh, the Gemini's father? I presume they must have been, and I don't know who. Because it's one of those parts you would need a name for. Yeah, that's because interesting. It's someone who's really significant to the plot, but isn't on screen yeah. much. You need. You need Nicol Williamson, basically. Yeah, you need yeah, somebody yeah. to come in. You go, oh, yeah, that's somebody major. That's not a two-scene guy. Well, I have to um, say, Kim, but, as, as is yeah. always, you, you've cut right to the yeah. heart of something I don't know. So yeah. we have to thank you. For, it may well be on, yeah. being talked about on the extra somewhere else. I actually I don't personally yeah. know. I mean, no. it would be great if it was Stacey Keach. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would be perfect, come to think of it? Yeah. I can't imagine Stacey Keach as Karis at all. But then I suppose it's just because one of the things with Exorcist is it does seem to be so perfect. Yeah, cast. I know. But then you think he played Luther, and he was yeah. he was great. As, oh, he's as a Luther. great, and, yeah, yeah and, he, and he's brilliant in yeah. um, you know he's brilliant in Ninth Configuration. Now, yeah. so now we're we're coming back into you know more conversations <laughs> ab- about what's actually going on. We well, get a lot of this architecture stuff as well, don't we? I know, yeah. And I like the it's always. Low angles looking up, which is what you're supposed to do in cathedrals. <laughs> yeah, but, ra- they... but rather beautiful, I think. Yeah. And again, now, if we can you just turn the volume up on this conversation a little bit? Just so you hear what they're saying. And then no one ever saw him again. Yeah, so this is now the discussion about, about Brother Fane and about what happened to Brother Fane and the fact that um, they discovered that Brother Fane had uh, two heart attacks, or the or the, the body of the mm-hmm. of the person that they found in the coffin had two heart attacks, and the last one killed him of fright. Mm-hmm. But again, crucially, no mention of Paul Morning. Mm-hmm. The only exorcism reference in this version really is just the idea that mm-hmm. somehow there is a connection mm-hmm. through the exorcism that Thomas Kintry's mother was the person who figured out that mm-hmm. the voice of Reagan McNeil was English in reverse, which incidentally, it, that's another bit of a, of a yeah. kind of, it's it, because in in The Exorcist, yeah. I, I, as far as I remember in the novel, there was a thing about don't don't show this tape yeah. to anybody else. That's right, <laughs> I yeah. I think that's the case. And it, yeah. But, 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 but crucially, that idea mm-hmm. about it's a peripheral connection. Yeah. And there is some lovely stuff with the Gemini in which the Gemini is saying, 
my whole thing is random, mm -hmm. but the person, that, the spirit that slipped me into this body had certain mm. things that they wanted done which weren't random, which are all to do with getting back at Kinderman. Mm. And this comes back to the idea that it's not about Reagan McNeil. Mm. It's about everyone else seeing what's happening around it, which is one of the reasons why Blatty was so specific about he would write a story about Kinderman mm. investigating a different case. Incidentally, there is a there's a part in the novel in which Kinderman um it's maybe not it's not Kinderman in which a character is going from room to room in a hospital and came and comes across a character who I actually thought was a grown up version of Reagan mm. McNeil but then but I was wrong. Um but I remember reading at the time thinking there must be more of a connection mm. but there isn't. Reagan McNeil mm. is that's happened that and it's finished. gone. And yeah. that's always why the whole Exorcist 2 thing yeah. always, it's, again the clock mm. and the you know which is significant all the it's way through. It's one thing because we don't get what Blatty or um wanted as a follow up. There's no sense that there have been any ripples in the wider world from basically a series of mysterious deaths in the home of a major celebrity. If like four people died around Shirley MacLaine's house, there'd be TV movies and paperbacks and it would be like a huge deal. Weirdly, in in probably the even you uh, probably never got got through the TV series of the I never Exorcist, watched the TV series, no. Where they did finally bring back the fact that this happened to somebody famous. Right. Can I just say, in terms yeah. of that sleepwalking, sleepwalking mm -hmm. is, yeah. a, is is clearly flagging up catatonics, mm -hmm. people, people mm -hmm. acting out. And, of course, um, in Exorcist, mm -hmm. the uh, possession is referred to as somnambuliform possession, mm -hmm. which is a, yeah. a kind of sleepwalking state. Okay. Now, Kim, you and I made a series together for yeah. the BBC called Secrets of Cinema, mm -hmm. and one of the episodes was about um, horror. And we talked about this as being mm -hmm. a kind of classic uh, jump scare. I think this scene is brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. um, do you, yeah, would you like to say anything about this? Technically, this, this is... Um, it, uh, if you tell people about the... Your, doing if you say we're doing something about exorcist 3 this is the scene they remember weirdly the second thing they remember is the carp in the bath <laughs> go figure but they're right but this sequence it's one of those things probably you and i both have the thing where people come up to you and say what's that horror film with yeah with the and, bit, with the and, and this is one of those things that lodges watching it and i've watched it a whole bunch of times yeah. in prep for this the thing that sells it to me, is the security guard. The fact that you think she's safe because there's a guy in uniform who's <laughs> obviously going to be there to protect her. This scary stuff happens to people in films when they're on their own, as she is now. But it's sort of... You're you're misled to think that this is a false scare when it's a real yeah. scare. Because you do get the false scare That's of the right. guy waking up, here, which yeah. we'll get in a, in a yeah. second. Um, as I say, it's this bit. with, and, and in fact, it's the most blatant false scare imaginable, isn't it? <laughs> it's just the sudden allows no... Every insidious film has this every <laughs> 10 minutes, doesn't it? It's the, this particular type of gag. But it's done, yeah. it's done with such class. Mm. It's done with such... Um, you know, the, it's it's the tininess of the mm. detail yeah. which makes the jump work. And as you say, you think you've got through it. Yeah. And uh, also, here we go. So we're going to... Okay. We, you know, we, we, we now see him doing the suspenseful thing, waiting for it. Yeah. yeah. So, that's, it. so that, weird... that's a lovely little detail, but what she's hearing is the ice. Yeah. She exhales, yeah. 
Yeah. Of course, it's just the things in the glass. But hey, I'm sorry, I just I, I jumped again. <laughs> yeah. But the genius is that yeah. that's that's not it. Yeah. But now the gap between it and it is really long. Yeah, that's it's right. Really long. Yeah. But it's and it is. It's a long-held. Um, I always think of them as like Kubrick or Tarkovsky shots, isn't yeah. it? Where symmetrical. You, you sat. You get enough time to sort of to live in it almost, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, for as we we've said, Blatty is very much a writer rather than a director. This is quite a lot of this film is just people in rooms talking to each other. But well but this directed. Is, oh yeah, no. But this is the moment where he says, "Okay, I can do it without people talking." You yeah. you, you want actual cinema scares? Here it is. See, there's the security guard. Yeah. You feel safe. Yeah, He's the right. security yeah. guard. You know. And um, then he go, and then he goes off, and then there's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff happens in the background. Yeah. Which is kind of like, oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff's happening. People are yeah. coming. People are yeah. going. I know that yeah. whenever people watch this thing, you always expect that it happens much earlier than it yeah. happens. Yeah, the 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 setup is nice, and I and it yeah, just the the fact that the the only color in the frame is her her, her cardigan, isn't yeah. it? Over over, because again, this is not a film which has a lot of color in it. No, it's no. almost. Yeah, and it, it, it's this, almost black and white yeah, at times. This kind of looks like Schindler's List, isn't it? Where you've got the the one little girl who's in red, um, and so much of this film is like that. But her cardigan highlights her in the frame. So Blatty yeah. said that the inspiration for the jump, this is, yeah. comes in at the back of the, yeah. the inspiration for the jump is Arbogast in Psycho mm-hmm. going yeah. up the stairs and you're looking at the wrong bit yes. of the frame because you're yeah. expecting it to come in from from the as you're looking at it, yeah. it's coming from the right and in fact he co- comes out of the door from the mm. left and then that fall backwards which again we sort of see yeah. echoed later on but it's all to do with you're looking in the wrong place mm-hmm. you don't yeah. expect what happens now to come from mm. the point in the frame that it comes yeah. and it's also literally impossible isn't it because she is looking yeah. straight <laughs> at where the where the actor is standing with the with the, with the shears but it's yeah, it's genius. It's a, oh, it's no. a, it's it's a top ten scale. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I um, uh, included in this package is my uh, original, not very impressed review of this film. But I did say that that's still one yeah. of the best. Well, uh, also, I think included is my more impressed review yeah. for Time Out. But even in my my review for Time Out, I said the problem is a a, a, a gaudy exorcism that clearly has no yeah, point in being yeah. there and sorely undervalues mm. everything else that's in it. Yeah. Because I did think that actually, the, the, for me, the heavy lifting mm. was being done mm. by yeah. the dialogue, which I love. I mean, I read the novel of Legion over and over again because I love the dialogue. I think we both, on our initial viewings of, of this film, felt that it wasn't the film it ought to be. Yes. And oh, you that, that yeah. coloured our... Yeah. And I think that that's sometimes a problem when people like us who do know a lot of backstory... I remember... It, yeah, I also appear on the uh, the the Arrow Blu-ray of Nightbreed, another Morgan Creek uh, effort from yeah. around this time, which had a very similar thing, that we both knew what the film was supposed to be, and that wasn't yeah, what came yeah. out. Morgan uh, Creek, you make it, we'll recut it. That's right. And then, I uh, subsequent to... That I've had people come up and say, "Well, Temple's down. I loved it," you know, and you think, "Yeah, if you didn't know all that backstory, you could have come, yeah. come but, in and just seen the film cold and loved it." But I, yeah. I mean, I, I still thought that it was good. I still yeah. thought it was. A, a, I mean, I gave it a very positive review, yeah. just, but but acknowledging the fact that the exorcism had no right to be mm. there. What's fascinating is 
that um, is how different mm -hmm. the original take with Durif was, and how I mean, mm. it's possible to watch it and just think that it's just the it's just the bit at the end, mm. without realizing that the whole. Because I didn't know originally that that it wasn't Jason mm -hmm. Miller, that it was just yeah. Durif. I you know it's because back the I know this sounds like a stupid thing to say, but this is the age before the internet. Yeah, that's right. We didn't we know didn't this know stuff. if it yeah, wasn't yeah. in Variety yeah. or yeah. Alan Jones didn't tell us. Yeah, who knew? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so again, yeah. we're now back into the it's it's conversations between mm -hmm. these two characters, and again, all of this is is Duriff's performance. There is no Jason Miller there at all. Mm -hmm. um, you notice that in the the studio version, the heavy lifting is all done by Brad Duriff. Mm -hmm. Jason Miller basically yeah. does the stuff, which is establishing that it's the mm -hmm. body of Karis. I think it mm -hmm. works well, and yeah. I think it is it's it, it's an elegant mm -hmm. solution to the to the problems that that, that Blatty mm -hmm. had. Blatty told me that um, that after he'd done his... Okay, this is, sorry, this is the explanation of how the Gemini got into this body, which I think is rather beautifully done because there's the sense that it's a, it's a story being told, that he thinks it's right, but he's not yeah. sure, and he thinks it's true. And incidentally, worth pointing out, the he says, you know, I dream of a rose and falling down a long mm -hmm. flight of stairs. The rose is an image that we see comes all the mm. way through Legion. The rose also appears in The Exorcist. And I should say we should hats off to um, Tim Lucas, mm -hmm. who wrote brilliantly about the, the imagery of The Exorcist mm -hmm. in um, Video Watchdog issue number six or 666, mm -hmm. I think it was called, in which I wrote a piece about mm -hmm. The Exorcist and sort of recuts. And he wrote a very, very good analysis of the symbols mm -hmm. in the film, in which I think at, at that point he identified mm -hmm. quite clearly the the symbolism mm -hmm. of the rose and innocence and mm -hmm. Reagan McNeil and the falling rose and all yeah. that stuff, which then occurs again yeah. and again and again throughout mm -hmm. this. It also means secrecy in Catholic doctrine. Oh, Under the rose means secret. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. There's, a, there's a whole book by David Morrell called The Brotherhood of the Rose about okay. it, about uh, Catholic spies. Well, in that case, it's even more complex <laughs> yeah, than I thought yeah. it was, Kim. Thank yeah. you. But uh, I just... Sub Rosa? So, oh, Sub Rosa. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. But I just... I love his yeah. performance in this. And you know what? Watching it, and because I hadn't seen this before this weekend, you know what this reminds me of? It, it reminds me of Perry King in The Possession of Gerald Delaney. Oh, really? Who does exactly, again, the idea of being possessed by a, a serial killer. Yeah. yeah. See, this is, he's yeah. inside, but he'll never yeah. get away. His pain goes on. Yeah. And then he, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> was I raving? Me, was I raving? <laughs> and again, what I love about that is, and this is down to Blatty's writing, it's the idea that everything is is constantly, well, <laughs> maybe this isn't true. Because, of course, what, what happens is he then goes on to offer a series of things. Well, maybe... <laughs> Maybe Karis didn't die. Mm -hmm. Maybe Karis actually, I am Karis, mm -hmm. and I was traumatized, and I want to. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I've I'm telepathic, which is how <laughs> I know. And this again refers back to something which happens in The Exorcist, which is that the demon in Reagan McNeil keeps taunting Karis mm. with knowing things that look like proof, mm. and then saying, "Ah, oh, but it's not proof, is it? Yeah. Because maybe." And one of them is. He said, Karis thinks to ask the demon a question that he can't possibly know mm. the answer to because mm. he's realised that the demon is saying, well, you know, maybe I'm just telepathic and mm. I'm picking ideas mm. out, out of your head. So constantly undermining the mm -hmm. idea that this is anything supernatural. Mm -hmm. And, of course, what that comes back to again is that the point of the story 
is that Kinderman has to come to mm -hmm. believe that this is a supernatural mm -hmm. event, not a natural event. Mm -hmm. And as the the rational voice all the way through The Exorcist, the the, the detective who's mm -hmm. actually putting all these you know ducks in a row mm -hmm. and figuring out that the little girl probably <laughs> yeah. threw Burke Dennings yeah. out the window. Um, this is the moment in which it becomes genuinely metaphysical. And so this does relate back to those mm -hmm. early conversations with Father Dyer. Incidentally, the other thing I, I should have pointed out at the time, if you go to the tombs and you try and sit in the booth that they sat in in that conversation, which I did, you can't because it was put there as a false booth <laughs> in order to get the stuff behind in the, in, in the background. And once when I was over, at, um, I was at Bill's house and I... I said, Bill, can we go to can we go to Georgetown? And he went, Why? And I said, just I just I'd like you to come to the steps with me. And he went, Really? <laughs> and I said, Well, yes, just once. Would you mind? Yeah. I said, Then we can go and eat in the tombs. And he went, Oh, come on. He was like a, like a tourist view. With it. <laughs> yeah. So we went to the to the steps in Georgetown. I've told this story before. And he came in because he was humoring me. God bless him. <laughs> he was lovely. And um, and then somebody came up. And they went, excuse me, and because there was lots of tourists there. Mm. And he said, yes. And they said, would you take our photograph? They mm. had no idea that it was him. <laughs> and they were tourists that had gone to have mm. their photograph taken on the steps. And Bill took the photograph. And I said, can I tell them? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think Georgie Scott is great yeah. in this as well, incidentally. Mm. I think it's a really good... There were some very sniffy reviews of it. But mm. I think his performance is very good. That whole idea about somebody who is almost stunned mm. into submission by everything that's happened. It's interesting. Obviously, yeah, Scott must have been aware he was taking over from Lee J. Cobb, who we probably think of as a bit player now, but was a major... Oh, he's a huge star. In, in American acting terms, he was an actor other actors revered yeah. because of Death of a Salesman on, on Broadway. And, of course, Freakin yeah. put him in The Exorcist yeah. as, a, as a solid. You know, yeah. he thought, that's it. I mean, that's a 100% that's yeah. solid performance. He's yeah. going to be great. I remember someone, someone once said, rather dismissively of, of The Godfather, that, you know, you could have just cast Lee J. Cobb and you wouldn't have needed to shove all that stuff in his cheeks or ask him to half around or put up with Marlon Brando and you would have had a, a, a fall. But for, for someone to take over from Lee J. Cobb is not actually a, a, an, yeah, a simple thing in, no, in, in, in acting. And I think Scott, who also was yeah, a, a, you know, one, one of America's great, yeah, now undervalued, character actors yeah. in that beat. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting. Cobb kind of plays Kinderman as comic relief because yeah. that's what he is. Whereas here, he has to be a lead. So he becomes almost the straight man in all the scenes with crazy other people. Although, of course, in yeah. the scenes with Father Dyer, yeah. that's when yeah. that, that's the kind of, mm. particularly, as you said, yeah. there's the other scene that everyone remembers mm. is the carp. And yeah. that, which is yeah. a kind of, but it's a straight-faced comic yeah. monologue. And I tell you what, I bet that reading those pages was what convinced George C. Scott to do the film because it's great stuff. Yeah. It's when you get to the carp scene, think right. There is a. This isn't just turning up and being in a horror film. He was yeah. in Firestarter. You yeah. know. Um, actually, he was also in the Changeling, which is which a is terrific, a great film. terrific, it's a really, really great. Film, and I yeah. think it's something that. Scott was plainly an actor who was not afraid of appearing in a genre movie, yeah. which a lot of serious actors kind of were, um, because the Changeling in particular came at a point in his career he could have done pretty much everything. He yeah. obviously wanted to do it. And with this, there is also a sense that 
it was worth doing. Yeah. This is this is all the yeah. different explanations. Yeah. Only this is the the point at which the Gemini is really testing his faith <laughs> because he's doing all the well. Maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. I've made it up. That thing about the script, everyone <laughs> said, you know, going into production, <laughs> the script was what did it for them. Yeah. Remember that, of course, Blatty had won the Oscar for the screenplay of The mm. Exorcist. He won the Golden Globe for the screenplay of The Ninth Configuration. Mm. I mean, he was a very, very mm. respected writer. And when they were making Exorcist, what became Exorcist Three, when mm. they were making what was Legion, it was thought of as a potential Oscar contender. Mm. In fact, in the EPK stuff, there's this thing about um, Blatty saying, I'm absolutely convinced that George C. Scott will be Oscar nominated. Mm. I just hope that this time he accepts. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when you remember what happened with yeah. the kind of bodged release of Exorcist yeah. 3, which kind of ended up being like a like a, a squiffy horror sequel yeah. because of the way it was sold, mm. all that went out the window. Yeah. But when they were making this version of the film, mm. they were at least thinking in terms yeah. of Oscars mm. because it was the original writer of Exorcist. It also came out about the time that Godfather 3 came out as well. So it yeah. was a, another... Yeah, reprise of a 70s great that was, yeah, ill-received, although, yeah. again, I think that's got interesting things in it too. But there was a, a feel that sometimes... Yep. This is worth saying. Yeah, it's only here yeah, that, that obviously, yeah. you know, some of the some yeah. of the, the the footage that we see is yeah. you know thirty five mil. Yeah, right. lovely sort of thirty five yeah, mil. Yeah. It's not just that yeah. if you see video, it's yeah, because no, there was footage yeah. that was found. We saw some in mm. the uh, in the in the president's office beforehand, and so there. And I still believe that mm -hmm. much in the same way as. Mm. Um, you know, everyone always said, oh, well, the, well, the Wicker Man, well, they buried it under yeah, the, yeah, yeah. whatever it was. It was stolen. It was taken yeah. away. That somewhere out there, mm. the 35 mil stuff will mm -hmm. exist. You were talking about the case of Nightbreed yeah. and it turning up on Clive Barker's shelf. Yeah, that's right. The the, the the great lost footage. It was at the back of the shelf. Yeah. And yeah, these things happen. Yeah. And who knows, maybe uh, uh, Sod's Law is 20 minutes after this hits the streets, they find a pristine copy of the director's cut somewhere. Yeah, yeah the rose again. Yeah. There. But worth saying that what you now have is a version that gives you a template mm -hmm. for if the 35 yeah. stuff was ever found, mm -hmm. you know what it's meant to look like. Because mm -hmm. obviously one of the difficulties with working from the script is that there are so many versions of the script mm -hmm. And they are so wildly different, as I mm -hmm. said, right down to the fact that in one, it's it's not even the same central characters, mm. um, and so it is lovely to have a version which looks mm -hmm. like the version that Blatty actually yeah. was aiming for in his first pass at the mm -hmm. film. Although I stress again that even back then mm -hmm. in the first shoots in Georgetown, even then they knew that there was there was a debate mm -hmm. about the ending. I mean, Jason Miller, when I interviewed him about it, said the ending was always up for grabs, mm -hmm. but they he thought that Blatty had been treated very mm -hmm. badly. Um, reports from that first press screening are mm -hmm. that it wasn't a high-end audience, mm -hmm. that it was a, it was a you know, popcorn horror yeah. audience. This is, I love that shit. Yeah. I love the stuff of Mr. Clelia on the ceiling. I think it's just... And again, that's something that's been done so many times yeah. since. But uh, it's brilliant, isn't yeah, it? It's so it's, creepy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, an image that's turned up. Did um, Blatty have any ideas for more, you know, Kinderman cases? I mean, could could he have like, you know, cracked something else? Well, not in this yeah. version, because yeah. in this version he's going to end up being arrested for yes, murder. Of course. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, well, the... he could solve a crime in prison. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but you know, the whole point about this version is that this version ends with a sacrifice. Yeah. Okay, so now we're moving towards the kind of contested finale. Mm -hmm. So what's happening in the finale now is that she is going to go and attack 
Kinderman's daughter. Yeah. So, you know, this is where the Julie and the Kinderman... Yeah. But this is a, a, a bit of misdirection with, was it the corner boy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you think yeah. that this is where the, this is where yeah. the K is leading you to. Yeah. Actually, I think this is ni- nicely done, yeah. not least because it, it has that line about, really, I cannot wait for you to leave, so, yeah. which is just delivered <laughs> yeah. with such yeah. fantastic angry tone. Here we go. Hell do you think you're doing? Are you crazy? What? I love this woman. Actually, it's, 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 kind of, it, it's a bit like a sort of Lucille Ball character dropped in the middle of the film, isn't yeah. it? She seems to have taken the comedy side of it further. Yeah. But what's happening is, so yeah. you've been classically misdirected yeah. because you already know that actually what's happening is yeah. that Nurse X and the bag are going yeah. out, and you know mm-hmm. that what that, that what she's got with her mm-hmm. is something very bad. <laughs> so now. We move in this. He's realised there's now the rush towards the uh, towards the house, and in the studio version, this is finally intercut with the arrival at the cell, mm-hmm. completely unannounced, mm-hmm. of Father Morning, mm-hmm. who then comes in and performs an exorcism, which involves snakes and fire, which Blatty mm-hmm. himself directed because Blatty was told. If you don't do it, mm-hmm. somebody else will. Some of the early versions, early incarnations of this, obviously this began as something that Blatty and Friedkin were mm-hmm. collaborating on. Friedkin is kind of less forthcoming about this. Mm-hmm. Blatty says, absolutely, we had, you know, we were going to do it. Mm-hmm. At one point, John Carpenter was uh, apparently uh, in the frame mm-hmm. to direct it, although Carpenter said it was clear that Blatty wanted to direct it himself and really yeah. it was Blatty's material. Um, but... So Blatty did think that when presented with his mm-hmm. ultimatum, which is either you do it or mm-hmm. it gets done for you, mm-hmm. that he should do it. And I do think that in the exorcism that has no right to mm-hmm. be in there, it does have some interesting moments. Yeah. I mean, the speech that mm. Kinderman does when stuck to the wall. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people being stuck to ceilings and stuck to yeah. walls. When he does the thing about, I believe in filth and slime and infidelity, mm. I believe in you... Mm. That's a great blatty speech. Yeah. It's just in the wrong film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, this is all to do with kind of ghosts of Georgetown. Mm. I mean, I love the fact that Georgetown is so embedded in this. If you mm-hmm. go to Georgetown now, it still feels very mm-hmm. much like the. Pl- I mean, Exorcist is one of those films like Local Hero, which is the location is imbued mm-hmm. in it when Chris McNeil does the walk from mm-hmm. the university, just a few blocks down to uh, the house on Prospect mm-hmm. Street you get a real sense that this is happening in a real place despite that obviously all the interiors are done in a studio elsewhere so this is Kinderman's house and again I think this is this is played rather brilliantly this of course is, an, is a, a scene which isn't in the uh, you can tell from the fact that that's done from uh, from those because yeah. it's, 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 it's Brad Dourif rather, mm-hmm. than, uh, rather than Jason Miller yeah. So the whole idea is that Brad Dourif's character kind of goes into this slump, but his brain mm-hmm. activity goes up. So and, the and Gemini that, is projecting himself elsewhere, and that fits in with like movies like Patrick or The Medusa Touch, which yeah. have a lot of that yeah. stuff, isn't it? The the catatonic who's actually killing people, yeah. psychic killer is another one. Now this is a great yeah. this is a great kind of gag. Again, remember that you know he's a <laughs> oh hi. Yeah, and then she just goes back yeah. in, which is just, I I love the way that's yeah. done. So why is he focused, assuming it's his daughter who's because a threat? Because he sees the thing which says because she says yeah. he he says do, do, do you mm. you know the clear invitation to the dance do you dance mm. and then he's so and then when he sees the Julie yeah. that's when he thinks Julie but it's not his wife. 
No, no, it's, no, no, it's his, his daughter. Yeah, but she also has a name that begins with K. Yeah, but she doesn't dance. Yeah. She's the ah, dancer. Right. That's why the thing about yeah. him, you're offering a clear invitation to the dance mm-hmm. and do you dance. Mm-hmm. Then she's been waiting there, says, I wanted you to see that. And there's some brilliant stuff done here, which is either the shot is reversed as the as the clippers come out and the head is mm-hmm. pulled away from it. But it's mm. it's it's really impactful. When you watch it a few more times, it becomes a bit weird. But as the as the attack happens, mm-hmm. it's really astonishing. So again, bear in mind, there we go, those mm-hmm. are, you know, what happened to the other ones. We've already mm-hmm. been told that there was a pair that was missing. Possess. Catatonics are so mm-hmm. easy to possess. I didn't wait. I'm waiting for you, Lieutenant. I wanted you mm-hmm. to see this. Why did you just see this? And that, then this shot, that shot, which yeah. is such a brilliant shot, but and it, yeah. either it's reversed or it's speeded up or something. Yeah. One thing I, I have to say, so it turns out the real hero of this film is Kinderman's mother-in-law. That's right. Right. Who actually saves the girl. Now, yeah. okay, so in the recut version, there's a thing about what's this? Because morning turns up. Yeah. In various early versions of the script, the script I'm holding here with the Faber script, yeah. it's the bastard is dead. Right. And mm. then she falls back to the, mm-hmm. to the floor, the incohate scream. Mm. Now there's a sort of a fairly swift mm-hmm. transition to the hospital. In the recut version, mm-hmm. he then goes down to the cell where Father Morning has been mm-hmm. stuck to the ceiling and yeah. he's now dead in the side of the wall. But this is the... This is Blatty's re-envisaged mm-hmm. ending that solved the problem of the spontaneous death. Mm-hmm. Is that Kinderman now realizes that everything that the Gemini has been telling him about, you know, spirit, it's mm-hmm. true that, that, that this world is a world of spirits mm-hmm. and bodies. And what he's about to do is to commit the ultimate yeah. sacrifice by killing somebody, which is then mm-hmm. that's it. He's going to then mm-hmm. going to face summary uh, trial and conviction because it's murder. It's clearly murder. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We'll get her. Pray for me, Damien. You're free. No, I think yeah, most courts would judge that a good police shooting in America. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then we get but then we get the final execution which then cuts back again to the you know, to the sun. Mm-hmm. I just there's a, there's a few final things which I'll tell you mm. over the credits, but mm. this cut to the that mm. which I think works yeah. really beautifully. So now in the studio version, you then cut mm. to them apparently seeing Karis being buried because Kinderman mm. isn't being done for murder mm-hmm. because it looks like Patient X stuck Father Morning yeah. to the ceiling yeah. and <laughs> yeah. peeled half his skin off, yeah. which is you know. So yeah. I think the exorcism has no place being there, but I think it does. You know, it, at least Blatty did it yeah. himself. Um, the other thing that's that's worth saying is that Blatty did say to me that when he was talking himself into filming The Exorcism, he said that maybe there was a sense that the audience had, would feel cheated if there wasn't something mm-hmm. other than Kinderman just going in mm. and shooting the thing. And I do think the 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 ending needs something more than this. There is maybe. But bear in mind, this is something more yeah. than what it was, was which yeah. was the spontaneous yeah. death, and then yeah, the conversation absolutely. about yeah. actually. But is this a blatty thing that he likes 
endings which don't quite come together. And when he has William Friedkin in the room, says, no, seriously, no, sir, I, want know. I want I want an ending. Yes, I need I to, know to know what happened. happened. Well, but here's what happens when the director and the writer are the same person. The producer comes in and starts telling him what to do. Well, yeah. of course, in the novel, there is this whole thing that the novel is, um, uh, it thanks Jack Vizard, who's a, a friend of Blatty's, for the theory of the angel. And the theory of the angel is that matter is Lucifer crawling its way back to God. And so the material and the and the physical and the spiritual world are fundamentally intertwined. And at the end of the novel, after patient after the, the patient has died, there is this sort of which of these worlds is real. And in that we have seen uh, the patient actually specifically saying which is the dream world and which mm-hmm. is the real world. And so the the, the course of the novel is very clearly toward um, Kinderman coming to the acceptance that the material mm-hmm. and the spiritual world are separate yet intertwined. Mm-hmm. And this whole, as I said, the Jack Vizard theory. And I said to I said to Blatty, you know, the stuff with Vincent Amfortas and the EVP tapes, mm-hmm. it, it's not in there. And the Jack Vizard theory of the angel, you know, where did it go? Mm-hmm. And Blatty said, look, I had people screaming at me because I didn't show them a decapitated head. Mm. He said, you think I'm really going to put in a speech about, you know, matter is yeah. is Lucifer crawling yeah. his way back to God? He that, said, come on, please. Yeah, that whole EVP thing later turned up in White Noise, which is essentially that, that, which is essentially that movie turned yeah. into a film. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So. It, it, it absolutely is that. And which is funny because... You know, I had never heard of EVP before I read Legion. And then I went back and you know, did the mm. research on Constantine Raudiv and, uh, you know, his predecessor. And as I said, I I, I, I heard the, the tapes that Blatty had made himself. The crucial thing about it is, and I think Blatty himself said this, in the end, it is still a matter of faith. Mm. If you listen to tapes and you think you're hearing the voices of the dead, well, that's a matter of faith <laughs> because... He said, you know, there, he had a tape, uh, had a voice on it. He took it to a spectrographic analyst. The spectrographic analyst said this this noise could not have been produced by a human larynx. Well, maybe that's because it's not yeah, a voice. Yeah. Or maybe it's... Yeah. So in the end, and this is the thing that I will take with mm. me from all of this, Bill said to me that in the end, he just didn't want to... He, he'd, he'd, he'd run out of patience with the argument. He just looked around at the mm. world and saw the existence of God, and mm-hmm. he said, and that's it, that's it. So much of what's in The Exorcist and Legion is about a rationalist trying to prove mm-hmm. the existence of another world. Because in the end, it's a matter of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's, weirdly enough, why that conversation when Kinderman is stuck to the wall <laughs> does have a nice thing in mm-hmm. it, which is, have I helped your unbelief? Yeah. Because that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where it is. Well, Kim, that's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Do you want to have a look at some of the uh, the outtakes? Let's, we'll take a look at those. Okay, and thanks, uh, thanks ever so much for putting up with me. You know, <laughs> so Alan Jones once said that the book that I wrote about The Exorcist was everything you never wanted to know about The Exorcist, <laughs> but was scared Mark was going to tell you anyway. 